This is one of the most special stories that I've ever read. So thank you to Yida Halberstam, Small Miracles of the Holocaust, for bringing it to life. I hope it makes your chauffeur-blowing experience this year more powerful. So it begins in Poland before World War II. And there was a rabbi named Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak Finkler, also known as the Rebbe of Radosis. Hope I'm pronouncing it close to correctly. And he was known as a holy man. And many, many would come to see him. And one of his students was a man named Moshe Weintreder. In 1943, Moshe was deported to Skarzysko Kamiena labor camp in southeastern Poland, which was a particularly brutal camp, and few survived. In the midst of this nightmare, which Moshe found himself in, there was one ray of light. In his barracks, barracks 14, was also his beloved Rebbe, Rabbi Finkler, Rabbi Yitzchak Finkler, the Rebbe. Now throughout their time in these barracks, the Rebbe offered endless words of comfort and encouragement to all who were around him. And he continued to conduct Shabbos prayer services. Wherever possible, he would teach Torah. And every morning, under the cover of darkness, he smuggled in a pair of tefillin and passed it around so that each man could have the opportunity to put them on. Passover, Pesach, 1943, approached, and the Rebbe decided that they must observe a seder in some sort of concrete way. The Rebbe approached a man named Shloma, and he said, I have a mission for you. See, Shloma worked in the camp's kitchen. The Rebbe asked Shlomo to acquire enough beets to make enough juice for the four cups of wine for the seder. Shlomo, of course, was terrified. But the Rebbe assured him, in the merit of this great mitzvah, he would give Shlomo a personal bracha, a blessing, and promised him he would survive to see many better years. The Rebbe would put his life on a daily basis out for his fellow Jews. And now it was time for Shlomo to step up and put his life on the line for the Rebbe. And so he decided to say yes. And somehow, amazingly, he was able to sneak those beets through the kitchen and make that wine, whatever you want to call it, that beet wine. And that Pesach, the Jews in the camp fulfilled the commandment of the four cups with Shlomo's beet juice. Before Rosh Hashanah that year, the Rebbe decided a chauffeur must be acquired to give those inmates a remembrance of those times when their spirits had soared. The Rebbe took out a hidden diamond, one that could have bought him a lot of food, and he gave it to a local Polish peasant who somehow they had a you know, acquired a connection with. And he said, let me give you this diamond. All I want is a ram's horn. A few days later, the peasant came back to the Rebbe with an ox horn. He couldn't find a ram's horn. The Rebbe said, listen, I asked for a ram's horn. That's the one that's kosher, of course, for the shofar blowing. 
If you want more diamonds in the future, you're going to have to get me a ram's horn. Otherwise, I'll find someone else. A few days later, the peasant returned, and this time he had a ram's horn in his pocket. There was still a problem, though. The ram still needed, the ram's horn needed to be cleaned out, and a hole was needed to be made in its tip to become a chauffeur that was kosher for the holy day. And so the Rebbe approached Moshe Weintreder, his student, who now worked in the metal shop and had access to tools. Please, Moshe, would you make the chauffeur for their holy Rosh Hashanah this year? Of course, fear flickered in Moshe's eyes. Rebbe, you know I would do anything for you. But just yesterday, a Jew from my workplace smuggled in a tiny piece of leather that he had hid in his belt. A guard inspected his clothing, and when he found the leather, shot him dead. We're checked every day. Rebbe, if they killed him for a scrap of leather, they're going to kill me too. But Moshe the Rebbe gently said, I understand your fear, but in the merit of this great mitzvah, I will give you my blessing, my bracha, and promise you that you will survive and live to see many better days. Of course, the Reb, Moshe was scared, but he couldn't refuse the Rebbe's request, and he set out to fulfill it. Somehow, he sneaked the horn into the shop, he picked up a tool, and he began drilling. Within a few minutes, the factory foreman was at his side. What are you doing, the foreman de demanded. Now Moshe's father had once told him that the best way to disarm an interrogator to surprise him with the truth. I'm making a shofar so that we can blow it on the high holy days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Are you crazy? The Nazi foreman shouted, and he pushed him into a storage room. And Moshe thought to himself, that's it. It's over. It's all over now. And he waited for the gunshot, but it never came. In the privacy of the empty storage room, the foreman addressed him in an entirely different gentle voice. Listen, I'm a religious Catholic, and I believe in the Bible. I respect your religion. I respect the sacrifices you religious Jews make to follow your faith. I will allow you to make your shofar. I'll lock you in here with the tools you need so no one else will see what you're doing and you'll be safe. A few days later, Moses slipped the crude but completely kosher shofar into the Rebbe's outstretched hands. On Rosh Hashanah morning, before they were called to work, the congregants of Barracks 14, whose barracks had long ago been broken but whose souls remained miraculously intact, they rose early to hear the tekiah shofar, the shofar blowing, of the Grand Rebbe. And though the chauffeur was makeshift and crude, its notes were pure and true, piercing the prisoners' hearts. It penetrated the heavens and broke down all the inner gates. The month passed, and late May 1944, the Nazis started to liquidate the camp. Moshe was among the few survivors who were deported to Chestakowa, a forced labor camp nearby. But sadly, the Rebbe did not survive. Moshe managed to take the shofar with him, and he smuggled it into the new camp. He clung to the shofar like life itself. Every evening, Moshe returned from his labors and 
frantically search out his hiding place to make sure the chauffeur was still there. And it, miraculously it was. Until one day, Moshe was thrown into a train bound for Buchenwald. The chauffeur was left behind. He had no chance to take it. When Moshe was liberated from Buchenwald in April 1945, he knew that his survival was due to the bracha, the blessing from Rabbi Finkler, from the Holy Rebbe. Moshe wanted more than anything else to find the chauffeur, but life intervened. He couldn't go back. He married another survivor. He helped organize illegal immigration of Jews into Israel, and eventually he moved to Israel to live. But he never forgot the chauffeur. It was Moshe's link to his Rebbe. So he set out to find the shofar. He placed ads in Yiddish newspapers around the world. He wrote to Holocaust survivor organizations. He contacted friends. And he hoped maybe, maybe one day to somehow hear about his lost shofar. Unbelievably, in 1947, he, 1977, he received a call. His 30-year search was over. Someone had found the shofar. And a few months later, Moshe Weintreder was reunited the shofar that he had shaped and molded in that labor camp. He presented the shofar to Israel's Holocaust Museum, Yad Vashem, and you could still see it. It's the picture on this podcast, and when you go to Yad Vashem, you can actually see that unbelievable shofar. And Moshe thought the story was over, but there was one last link to the end of the story. Moshe had a son, and when it was time for his son to get married, a shidduch was proposed all the way back in Canada. The Holocaust survivor over there, the young man flew to Canada. The two met. From the beginning, they knew they were bashert. They were destined for each other, and they decided to get engaged. Moshe came to Canada for the engagement party, and as his son started to introduce the two father-in-law, the men began to sob and run into each other's arms. The future father-in-law turned out to be none other than Shloma, the chassid who had made the beet juice for the Seder's four cups in Pesach in 1943. These two men were the only chassidim of Radusis who survived that labor camp. And they survived exactly as the Rebbe, the Rebbe had promised. To me, this story is unbelievable. Just so many miracles, it's hard to believe it's true, but it is. But uh, two enduring lessons, of course, one, to never take for granted the bracha of a great holy man. But two, when we hear the shofar blowing this Rosh Hashanah, to think about the sacrifice that the Jewish people have done throughout the generations, think about all the sacrifice that has gone into us to be able to be here, to be able to listen to that shofar blow. And Bezrat Hashem, we wait to hear the great shofar blowing of Mashiach, to have the Rebbe come back and blow that shofar. Have a beautiful, beautiful Rosh Hashanah.